group back there taking care of the littles. Um, so I'm going to introduce Sam Adams. Sam Adams is a favorite around here. Give it up for Mr. Sam Adams. There he is. So he is going to preach for us. He's one of our favorites around here, and he is our church planting resident and uh, they working really, really hard uh, throughout 2019 to get a church plant in Elizabethan in Carter County up and going. And so it's just a real privilege of us to continue to uh, love on Sam, love on that community group, and then to really just start praying to see the Lord continue to open doors in Carter County. So Sam, do you mind if I pray for you before you yeah, get started? Yeah, right. Jesus, thank you so much for this man. Um, he is a loyal man of yours who follows after you deeply and cares for your people. And uh, he is a true shepherd of, of yours, and you have called him out. Uh, God, he is so faithful to the word and uh, just a great teacher. And so I pray now that as he, as he's been praying through and reading this text over and over and over for weeks now, um, that um, just the preparation will just solidify in his heart and his mind, and that we would be able to enjoy the riches of your word. Thanks again for Sam Adams. We give this time to you. In your name we pray. Thank you. All right, so fair warning, I'm getting over being sick. So if I cough or sneeze, I'll try not to do it that direction. But if it happens, that's free, no extra charge, like a Disney ride kind of thing, get water in your face, wind in your hair, sort of thing. So uh, we have made it to the end of 2018, which seems crazy to me. It's gone by really, really quickly this year. Um, it's true what they say, the older you get, the more kids you have, the faster the year it goes. So um, it's definitely been a whirlwind, but we made it to the end. Tomorrow is the last day of 2018. Um, we're also at the end of the Advent season, so the season of, of Christmas and busyness and traveling and family and friends and all this kind of the craziness that comes um, during this time of year. But naturally, at the end of December, right before the New Year's, um, we find ourselves at a crossroads during this time of year each and every year. Um, so at this crossroads, you, you begin to look back over the last 12 months. You begin to look forward over the next 12 months. Uh, for some of us, you look at, you know, past that as well. The older you get, the more you tend to look towards um, the next remaining several years. And so that's just a natural thing that we do. <clears throat> um, but naturally, also, we tend to make resolutions. I don't know about you guys. Um, I tend to struggle with making resolutions. I think when I was younger, I would try to do it. And I realized pretty quickly it's just it's hard to follow through. Um, so I didn't make it as much. But a lot of people in our country, we, we make resolutions. So not to put a damper on those resolutions that you might be making, um, but there was a study done by the Journal of Clinical Psychology, and they stated that only 46% of people are successful in following through with those resolutions. So if you want to you know, get in shape, lose weight, it doesn't look too good for you this year, but that's okay. You, know, you might be a part of the other 50%. Who knows? No big deal. Um, but I thought it, inter it was interesting thinking about resolutions. And so I started to look at the, the top 10 most popular resolutions. Um, so those were, number one, to exercise more. Number two, to lose weight. Number three, to be more organized. Four, to learn a new skill or hobby. Number five, to live life to the fullest. Six, save more money and spend less money. Seven, quit smoking. Interestingly, behind that, number eight was to spend time with family and friends. I guess that's less important. Number nine, travel more. And number 10, to read more. And the top two resolutions for this coming year for most people um, are the exercising, lose weight, and then also the, the saving money. So those are the things that tend to be most important to Americans in terms of making resolutions and their hopes for the coming year. 
But in the midst of all this resolution making and, and possibly keeping, I wonder what it would look like for us as an entire church um, to make resolutions together, to resolve to focus um, on having the same goal in mind for the coming year. So you see, for our church, we're kind of at our crossroads as well. So if you look back over the last eight months, we've really been emphasizing missions. Um, we've, as a church, we've identified our missions platforms. Each and every single Sunday, we've had a missions moment, just like today, where we highlight one of uh, those platforms or a ministry partner or a missionary specifically. And so that's what we've done the last eight months. As we look ahead of the next um, year to come, what we want to do as a church body is to seek to mobilize our entire body in the mission of God. So we're kind of at a crossroads just as well. And so I just wonder what it looked like for us as a church to take the Great Commission so seriously that each and every single one of us seeks to make one disciple in this coming year. So if you want to turn in your scriptures, we're in Matthew chapter 28. It's also in your worship guide if you have that with you. But we're in the final chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, which I think is very ironic but also very fitting, considering that last week we were in Matthew chapter 1 because um, we were preparing our hearts for the coming of Messiah during Christmas week. And now here we are, the last Sunday of 2018. We're in the last chapter of Matthew 28. And I think it's a great place to end the year and to think about the coming year. And so in the previous chapter, in a couple of chapters in Matthew, um, you have Jesus that's arrested. He's handed over to Pontius Pilate, um, and he is crucified which is the entire purpose for why he came to earth. He came to take the punishment for our sins, to give us his righteousness, to bring reconciliation between mankind and God. So that was chapter 27. Now here we are in chapter 28. At the beginning of the chapter, you have the resurrection of Jesus, and then now you make it to the Great Commission, which is the term that we give to Christ's final commands on earth. So if you will, read with me Matthew 28, 16 and following. And God's Word says, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So if you've spent any significant time in church throughout your life, you've probably either directly heard or at least heard referenced this great commission. So in the Gospel of Matthew, this, these are the last words that Jesus says to his disciples. And as his last words, it obviously makes them very important for us. Um, but for, for many Christians, as we tend to hear the Great Commission, I think we, we kind of have a little bit of a problem in our hearts. I think for a lot of us, um, as we begin to look at our own spiritual lives and we look at our doubts, we tend to think that those doubts in our faith, they disqualify us from engaging in the mission of God. So have any of you ever doubted any part of your faith at all? See a couple smiles, a couple nods. I definitely have, Right? Have any of you ever doubted God and His goodness before in your life? Okay, a couple of nods. Some of y'all are like, eh, yeah, I definitely have, right? Um, certainly, that's a normal part of the Christian life is to have doubts. And there have definitely been seasons of doubt in my own life where I've woken up um, and just, you know, doubted God and His goodness, His plan for my life and what He was doing. Um, and for a lot of us, we, we look at our lives and we really want to look like we have it all together. We don't want anybody to see the, these doubts or these cracks in our faith. Um, 
but it's just kind of a normal part of the Christian life. And this is what we see in verse 17 of, the, of this Great Commission. In verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I think that phrase is, is pretty interesting, that some of them doubted. So if you think about the disciples, these are the men that Jesus has chosen, right? So they've been following him for three really long years, um, going to all these different places. They've heard him teach with authority. They've seen him perform miracles and do all of these amazing things. And he even prophesied ahead of time of his coming death and his resurrection. And now this moment has come, right? The crucifixion's happened. He's now risen again. And they have this moment to see the risen Savior. And as they're worshiping him, there's a little bit of doubt in their hearts. I think that's interesting. I think this verse shows us that it's normal and possible for us to both worship and doubt at the same time. Because these are normal rhythms in the Christian life. There'll be times in your, in your life in which you doubt certain facets of your faith. And there'll be times where you doubt God and His goodness. And yet for us, in that moment of doubt, we have the, the opportunity to look at God and His Word and say, you know what, the truth of God's Word is more powerful than my doubts and the enemy's lies. So we have the opportunity in the moment of doubting to say to God, God, I believe, but I need you to help my unbelief. We have the opportunity to still worship and to still obey despite those doubts. You see, we as humans, we're, we're naturally frail and we're very fickle in terms of our hearts. And it's really easy for us on a Sunday morning to, to feel confident, to be surrounded by Christians and to, to sing praises to God. But then Monday mornings can sometimes hit pretty hard and bring back all of these doubts again and to drag us back down. But thankfully, Jesus, he knows that, that we will doubt. And he knows that you and I, we're not good enough to follow through in what he's commanded for us. And that's why we have the gospel. It speaks directly into our weaknesses, into those deepest, darkest moments of doubt. And it says you don't have to be good enough because Jesus is good enough. That's what the gospel does for us. And I think we can also look at all of the Bible and look at all these different biblical characters um, and see that there are a lot of other people that have doubted as well. And we can take great comfort from that. So just to name a few, you can look at King David. If you read the Psalms, they're like a roller coaster of emotion, right? Just like us. And so you can look at David. He definitely doubted God in his plan on occasion. I mean, think about it. He was anointed by Samuel as the next king of Israel one moment, and then the next moment he's being hunted bound by King Saul. You can read certain Psalms like Psalm 13 and see the, the condition of his heart in that moment of doubt. You can look at other famous biblical characters like Abraham and Sarah. So Abraham was promised to become a mighty nation. God was going to make a mighty nation from Abraham, but he had no son, right? And after years and years and years of still no heir, Abraham and Sarah doubted, and they took matters in their own hands. You can look to other people like Gideon, who doubted that God could ever use somebody like him. And his doubt was so strong that he asked God to prove himself through miracles on two different occasions before he would believe God. You can look to the Apostle Thomas, who doubted that the resurrection took place. He thought Jesus was dead, and there's no way that he was back. And he doubted until he was able to see Jesus for himself and to see his nail-scarred hands and feet inside. And thankfully for us, we can look to the gospel writers who are very generous in showing us their own shortcomings and their doubts. As you can read throughout the gospels, you know, they're, they're not exactly the, the most notable kind of group of guys, right? Um, there were moments where they tried to cast out a demon out of a young boy, and they were not able to because they didn't have the faith to do so. 
And so we can see from all these biblical characters that even though that we may have seasons where our faith is kind of doubting or lacking, God can and still does use His people. Even famous um, Christians in modern days also struggle with doubt. If you look at the famous preachers Charles Spurgeon, um, he had a season where he struggled with doubting his own salvation. And so he said, I have told you before that some years ago I felt a great depression of spirits. I knew whom I had believed, but somehow I could not get the comfort out of the truth that I preached. I even began to wonder whether I really was saved. And having a holiday and being away from home, I went to the Westland Chapel, and a local preacher occupied the pulpit that morning. While he preached a sermon full of the gospel, the tears flowed from my eyes, and I was in such a perfect delirium of joy on hearing the gospel, which I so seldom have the opportunity of doing, that I said, oh yes, there is spiritual life within me, for the gospel can touch my heart and stir my soul. You see, doubt does not disqualify us from the mission of God. Certainly, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've been struggling with some sense of doubt at some point in time. I've definitely had seasons of doubt in my own life, the most recent being at the, the start of the school year. I started a new job with a new school system, and unfortunately, it didn't pay as much as I had hoped it was going to. And then bills started rolling in, right? My second daughter was born, so you have medical bills coming. I had graduate bills that were coming in. All these other things were happening, and very quickly, it became very apparent there was not going to be enough money to pay for these bills. And so immediately, I began to doubt God and His goodness. I would think, God, how in the world is this what's best for my family? How in the world can this bring you glory? <coughs> and this season of doubt, it carried on for, for weeks and weeks. So I would wake up in the morning with just this horrible, like, gut-wrenching feeling of how in the world am I going to provide for my wife and two daughters? And it would take me hours throughout the day of praying and trying to quote through Scripture to even begin to trust God again. And the next day, it would start over again, right? And so there's just this long season of doubt that can go on and on and on for quite some time. But it's important for us to remember that these, these seasons of doubt that we have in our Christian life, they're, they're normal rhythms, but it does not disqualify us from the mission of God. For others of us, maybe our doubt comes from instead that we think we're not really good enough spiritually to lead somebody else in discipleship. We look to our own lives and we think, I don't even know what it means to be a Christian myself. I only pray when somebody makes me pray at Thanksgiving in front of everybody or when life gets really hard. I barely remember to bring a Bible to church, let alone to crack it open throughout the week. How in the world could I be expected to lead somebody else spiritually when I don't even know what it means to be a Christian myself? But the problem with those sort of doubts is that you're looking to your own strength to be able to fulfill the Great Commission instead of that of Jesus. You rely on yourself. And again, you can take comfort from the disciples. They, they were not exactly the A-team, right? Not too many people would go around and pick them this time of, and this season of life and go and say, I'm going to use these men to reach the entire world, right? I mean, they were young, possibly in their 20s. Most of them were fishermen. Matthew was a tax collector. They didn't really have a whole lot to offer to Jesus when he came and selected them. And yet, that's who God chose to reach the world. You see, you don't have to be a perfect Christian and have it all together, or you don't have to have a degree from seminary or anything like that to engage in this great commission, this mission of God. Your doubts don't disqualify you. But luckily for us, 
we can look to Jesus. And so thankfully, the fulfillment of the Great Commission, it does not depend upon our faith. It depends on Jesus because Jesus has all authority, and it is Jesus who fulfills the Great Commission through us. See, Jesus has been given all authority by the, by the Father, and this authority, it's all-encompassing. It covers all of heaven and all of earth. Remember, He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And he's just conquered sin and death. He has risen again. He's appeared to his disciples, and he's given them this final command. So I want you just for a minute, just place yourself in the, sh- in your sh- the shoes of the disciples, okay? So remember, you've been following Jesus for three long years, seeing him preach and teach and perform all these miracle- miracles, and then you just saw him die the horrible death of crucifixion. He died on a cross after all that. But just like he said he would, he has risen again, and he is standing before you, right? Just picture this for this moment, that you have Jesus who's risen again. You can see the scars on his hands and his feet and his side. And he's telling you that I have been given all authority on heaven and earth. He was no ordinary man. He was and is the Messiah. Jesus is God. We can see him described in other places in Scripture. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, It tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And in verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from him, his fullness, we have received grace upon grace." You see, this is the Jesus that was risen again. He was with God in the beginning. He is God, created all things. He is risen again, and he has all authority. It is not partial authority. It is not incomplete. It is total authority in heaven and on earth. You see, in the Bible, Jesus is described as being with God in the beginning. The Word made flesh, the image of the invisible God the mediator between God and man, the head over all things, the light of the world, the anointed one, the good shepherd, the bread of life, the healer and forgiver, the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection and the life, the son of David, a man of sorrows, sinless and holy, prince of peace, and the power and the wisdom of God, just to name a few. This is your Savior, and His authority is absolute. And yet... I wonder if we live our lives this way. See, unfortunately for us in our culture today, we we can only understand partial authority. We We can understand it insofar as a parent has authority over their children or maybe as much authority as a police officer has when he pulls us over for speeding. But it can be hard for us to kind of grasp what this means to have total and complete authority, the authority of someone who's described as a king. But despite that, Christ's authority is absolute. 
And luckily for us, it's because of His authority that we can obey the Great Commission and have the confidence to do so, because it's His authority that precedes our going. Verse 19 starts off and tells us, go therefore. The therefore means because. It's saying, go and make disciples because I have been given all authority. See, our confidence, it lies in Him and not in our ability to to carry anything out. We can boldly engage in the Great Commission in this coming year because it's Jesus that fulfills the Great Commission through us. And we can have confidence and know that the Great Commission is going to be fulfilled because it's already been in the process of being fulfilled. You can look back into the prophets in the Old Testament. Isaiah 49, chapter 6, we see that it's prophesied that Jesus the Messiah would be the salvation for the entire world. It says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. See, to God, it was too simple to just bring back the nation of Israel to himself. His plan for salvation and redemption was to encompass the entire world. And we can have confidence knowing that discipleship started with 11, and there now have been billions of people that have come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We can look on into Acts chapter 2. It's soon after Jesus has ascended to the Father. We see the apostles, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus had promised. And, tell, and they are telling of the mighty works of God to the nations. If you look forward to Acts 2, 7 through 11, it says, And they, the people that were being preached to, were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking simply Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and res- residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to the Serene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. You see, immediately we see the Great Commission being fulfilled as 3,000 souls from all these different nations are already coming to know Jesus, Lord and Savior. And God's Word tells us that their number was being added to daily. So the Great Commission was already being fulfilled from the start. And remember, you know, the disciples, they're uneducated men. We see their shortcomings and their doubts all throughout the Gospels. You remember that Peter, just a few days prior, had doubted and um, denied Jesus three times before the crucifixion took place. And yet, just a few chapters later, here we are. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is fulfilling the Great Commission through them already. And we can know that the Great Commission will continue to be successful because we see it in other places in His Word. If you look in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 and following, it tells us, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. And He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right but the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. See, in verse 32 of that chapter, it says that all the nations will be gathered before Jesus. 
So we can be bold and confident in the Great Commission because it is Jesus who fulfills the Great Commission through us. It is not dependent upon us or any amount of faith that we have. It is all dependent upon Jesus and His complete authority. So whenever we hear a sermon like this, we have to naturally begin to wonder, well, what, what does this mean for me? See, perhaps for some of us, we hear the Great Commission, we've heard it so many times that it begins to lose its weight, and it's just simply another command of Scripture that we kind of distance ourselves from. We need to ask ourselves, how strong is Christ's authority in my life? Do I believe that Jesus is who He says that He is? See, it can be really easy for us this time of year to to celebrate Jesus, to celebrate the birth of Him and His coming um, during the season of Christmas. For for many people, it's a time with family and friends. Um, For children, they get excited for Christmas and presents and things that are to come and, and all these sort of things. But in all the midst of that busyness of the season, we tend to forget that it's not the birth of just any baby. It's the birth of the Savior, the Savior of the world, the Savior of you and me. And so we need to ask ourselves, do I believe that Jesus has ultimate authority over heaven and earth? Does he have ultimate authority over every part of my life? Because if you believe that he is the Son of God, and if you believe that he is the King of all, then he is worthy of your obedience and your worship. Wayne Grudem, he describes that there are, there are three purposes to, to God's church. There's the ministry to God through worshiping Him. There's ministry to other believers through nurturing and building them up to maturity in their faith. And there's ministry to the world through evangelism and mercy. See, if Jesus is our King, then we should be engaging in all three areas of this ministry because He is worthy of your worship and your obedience, including this obedience to His final command on earth, this this command to engage in discipleship. And remember, with discipleship, discipleship is plan A. There is no plan B. So for whatever reason, God in all of His infinite wisdom has chosen to to spread His gospel throughout the world through His children, through His believers. And all it requires is Christians like you and me to be obedient. But there is a problem. The problem is that you and I, we're going to struggle to obey for one reason or another. There's going to be some temptations that we're going to face. We might be tempted to maybe abide in our own strength. So if any of you are type A'ers, you really like to get things done, for a season you can begin to make disciples on your own in your own strength. But eventually you're going to fall short. And remember, Paul said that I have planted Apollo's water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. For others of us, we might be tempted to spend all of our time and our energy and our emotion focusing on ourselves and our families. And it's really easy to do. I mean, think about it for a minute. Who do you spend all of your time and your energy focusing on and thinking about? (coughs) Who is the focus of most, if not all, of your prayers? Are you more focused with the spiritual development of yourself or another person? I know for me, 98% of my prayers are focused on myself and my family. It's a kind of natural thing to do. And I spend my day, I work for my family, I come home, spend time with my daughters, help with dinner, put them to bed, and there's a little time for much else. 
So I have to ask myself, how much time do I spend helping to mature the faith of other Christians? How much of my time do I spend strategically placing myself in the life of somebody that's far from Jesus with the express purpose of obeying the Great Commission and making a disciple of them? Remember, the, the, the entire purpose of the Great Commission is to make disciples of the nations, nations meaning others. We're not meant to spend all of our energies focusing on our own spiritual development. But unfortunately, that's what a lot of us do. We go on Sunday mornings, we hear God's words preached, maybe we have great spiritual disciplines throughout the week, but we don't give a whole lot of that away. We're continually taking in and taking in and taking in. You tend to become a little bit spiritually obese. And we tend to become focused and concerned with ourselves. It can be described that coming to church on a Sunday morning, like, it's like coming and you bring your basket and you have this spiritual food and nourishment that you're given and you take it and you place it in your basket. But if you do nothing with that spiritual food, it rots and wastes away. In fact, if we're not actively engaging in the Great Commission throughout our lives, we're actually sinning. We're deliberately disobeying a clear and direct command from Jesus. Jesus never said that only those that are gifted should make disciples. He never said, when you feel spiritually good enough, then you can make disciples. He never said, if you feel like it, to make disciples. He only said, as you go, make disciples. And that's the mission of Redstone Church. We seek to be disciples who are making disciples. And this is done in our daily lives with the people that God has already connected us to. It's a great place to start. Because Jesus, he already knows that our lives are naturally in movement. There are natural rhythms to our lives. We spend time with family. We spend time at work with coworkers, in our neighborhoods, shopping for groceries, friends. The Great Commission tells us, as you're going throughout your daily life, as you're tucking your children into bed, as you're working alongside of a coworker, as you wave at your neighbor in the neighborhood, as you stand next to a stranger in the grocery line, make disciples of all nations. See, this command is true on a Sunday morning, it's true on a Monday morning, and it's true every single day of the week. And I wonder what it would look like for our lives and our perspective to be changed to where we look at our lives as being under the complete authority of Jesus Christ, who has all authority, and to look at everybody that we interact with as potential brothers and sisters in Christ. I wonder what it would look like for us as a church to be mobilized in the mission of God in this coming year. And what a difference that can make. If 11 men can be used to reach the world, what would it look like for an entire church? So naturally, the, the question that remains is, okay, how do I go about doing this? What are my next steps? Well, I suggest three as a starting point. And they're not the perfect steps. They're not the only steps to engaging in the Great Commission. But they're certainly better than doing nothing, right? D.L. Moody, he was famous for stating one time to a critic of his, he said, it's clear you don't really like my way of doing evangelism. You raise some really good points. And frankly, I don't like my way of doing evangelism either. But I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. So we should start somewhere. So I say your first step should be to start with prayer. Pray and ask that God will help your heart to be so enthralled with Jesus, who Jesus is, what he has done for you, that you cannot help but to tell others about him. 
In fact, I would go so far as to say that if you're not taking part in the Great Commission, the mission of God, then you likely don't view Jesus as worthy of your worship and your obedience. We should look as to whether or not our heart has been captured by Him if we're not already engaging in the mission. C.S. Lewis, he was famous for describing Christians. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when an infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. See, if our hearts are not enraptured by our Savior and spending eternity with Him, then we are far too easily pleased by the things in this life. And we will never have any desire to share Him with anyone else. Our second step, as we continue on in prayer, but also as we begin to look at our lives, is to find one person in our sphere of influence that God is calling us to make a disciple of Jesus. If we look on to Acts 1.8, it says, But you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. You see, we are Christ's witnesses in all of the world, in every single sphere, and there's no need to focus on one over the other, but I think a really great starting point is to start with those that are closest to us, those that are already in our life. At Redstone Church, we believe that God is calling each of us to be spiritually responsible for our families and for one other person. So who is your one other person? That's your step two. And then finally, step three, it sounds really simple. When you find that person, make them a disciple. So we're going to learn more fully what that means next week as we continue on with the second half of the Great Commission. But there's a few tools that you might want to use as you begin to step into discipleship with someone else. You can use something like CBR. If you haven't heard about it, you will. But it's a tool that Redstone's been using the last couple of years. There's journals in the back, and Adam will tell you about it later. But it's a great tool that you can use, and it's meant to be reading the Bible in community with someone else. And it's a fantastic tool that can be used in discipling another person. You could also read some type of a book, perhaps one like The Gospel-Centered Life by Bob Thune. Or if you're really nervous and anxious, you can ask somebody else that's a little more mature that maybe has already discipled another person. You can ask them for guidance. But remember that it is Jesus that fulfills the Great Commission through you. So I want you to allow His authority to be your source of confidence as you step out in obedience in this coming year. See, the Great Commission... Jesus, he does not need super Christians to be successful. He doesn't need people to have it all together. All he needs are obedient Christians. Discipleship is all about multiplication. You've probably heard it stated before, but with discipleship, if you were to take in one year, you were to go and share the gospel with someone else, disciple them throughout the year, train them to do the same. Then the next year, the two of you go out and do the same thing. The next year, the four of you go out, and so on and so forth. It would only take 33 years for the entire earth to be discipled. How amazing is that? See, discipleship and the Great Commission, it's meant to reach all nations, and it will reach all nations. And you have the opportunity to be a part of the mission of God. But remember, it's, it's not going to be easy. You can't achieve it on your own in your own strength because you're not enough. And you're going to have seasons of doubt. 
If you look to the disciples, 10 out of the 11 disciples died a martyr's death. Now, I would imagine as they were facing death, there's probably some heavy doubt that was hitting their heart in that moment. They died in many ways. They were stabbed, beaten, stoned, burned, crucified, beheaded, all because they did obey the Great Commission. Discipleship will cost you in this life. There's no doubt about it. But think of the eternal weight of glory to come. Think of what is to be gained by being obedient and resting on the authority of Jesus. Christ's last command to us before he left the earth to, be, to ascend to the Father was to go and to make disciples of all nations. I wonder if his first question when we go to heaven might be, how did you do? How did you do? Luckily for us, whenever we hear something like this, it may seem kind of heavy, right? Kind of sits on us. But remember, we always go back to the gospel. We always go back to Jesus. And so that's the purpose that communion serves for us each and every week. We come back to it because it reminds us and speaks to us in our hearts that we don't have to be good enough and have it all together because Jesus does have it all together. And so when he instituted the Lord's Supper and he was before his disciples, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it saying, this is my body given for you. And then he took a chalice of wine and he blessed it and said, this is my blood given for you blood of the new covenant. And he gave it to them. And he told them that he would not take of this again until heaven with everyone else. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the really cool thing about the marriage supper of the Lamb, if you go and look at it described in the Scriptures, is that all nations are present. The Great Commission will be fulfilled because Christ fulfills it through us. And that's what the gospel does for us. That's why we take communion each week. So here in just a moment, there'll be men all around the room with communion. It's available for you whenever you're ready. At Redstone, we really love to take it in little pockets of people, little groups of people. So if you're interested, I encourage you to, to join up with one of those groups, but you could take it on your own if you'd like. Another appropriate way to respond to this message, if you're really feeling that kind of heavy moment of doubt, maybe it's a season of doubt for you, that's okay, because Jesus can meet you where you are. But there are people in the prayer corner, Phil and Karen Trigg will be back there. They would love to spend some time with you praying and encouraging you and walking with you in this. But all the stations are open. So let me pray for us, and then we can, we can stand and take when we're ready. Father God, we thank you that Jesus was missional first, that he was willing to come to the earth for us, to die for us, give, give his life for us, Lord. We thank you that's not the end of the story that Jesus rose again and he is seated beside you, Father. We thank you that he serves as our mediator, Lord. He is able to stand between us and you to bring our hopes and our fears to you, Lord. Most of all, we thank you for the gift of salvation that you have given us, Lord. And so I ask that you help us to take this now, remembering what Christ has done, being confident in his authority, and that you'll help us to give this away to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you'll stand, the stations are open.